You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from His Word today. All right, let's take our Bible and turn to 2 Peter this evening as we continue our series on the family. We're only four weeks into this so far. On our first evening, we talked about the husband's responsibility, and then we shifted to the wives. We then talked about how to raise a spoiled, immature, irresponsible brat. And then last week, we talked about how to use the rod of correction effectively. Now, tonight, we want to cover the subject of authority. So we've just mentioned and we've just seen played out today in our nation, we live in a wicked and adulterous generation that is characterized by rebellion. You may remember what Samuel said to Saul when he rebelled against the Lord and did not obey God. He said, rebellion is as the sin of what, church? Witchcraft. God's word, it takes rebellion very seriously. As we come into 2 Peter here, I want you to notice chapter 2 and verse 10 through verse 13 and what Peter says about those who are rebellious and will not get under God-ordained authority. He said, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh... They want to do their own thing. They want to live their own lives. They're not going to let anyone to tell them what to do. They're walking after the desires of their own flesh. In the lust of uncleanliness. And despise governments. That word government is the same word from which we get the word authority. They despise any authority. They are presumptuous and they are self-willed. Describing their rebellious spirit. They are self-willed individuals. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities or authorities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not a railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, these rebellious ones... These as natural, brute, what does he call them? Beast. I'm going to ask you a question. Is Peter writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God? So isn't it really God calling those who will not submit to authority beast? Made... To be taken and what, church? Destroyed. What did they do to a rebellious son in the Old Testament who would not obey his father? What did they do? They took him out to the gates of the city and they stoned him. That's how seriously God takes rebellion. They speak evil of the things that they understand not, they are foolish. And shall utterly perish in their own corruption. 
and shall receive the reward of their unrighteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you bless the teaching of your word tonight as we look at the issue of God-ordained authority and the blessing that will be given to those who, with a right spirit, fall underneath their authorities in obedience. So bless our time tonight, open our eyes, help us to understand your teachings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let me come down there and join you. And I have a lot to cover tonight. Those of you who just snickered are from my era. Uh, this is, uh, these are the kind of shows I like. These are the kind of shows I was raised on, and I still like them to this very day. Love the reruns. But 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18 says, Be subject to your masters with all fear. We should be afraid to disobey. We should be afraid not to submit to authority because there should be consequences for disobedience. Be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the what? Forward. Those are those authorities who get in your face, like Sergeant Carter. But Gomer always had a what kind of response? He always had a good response, and he just loved Sergeant Carter. Responding correctly to authority. Let's look at several verses of Scripture. Obey them that have the rule over you, and what? Submit yourselves, for they, the authorities, watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For this is, what? Unprofitable for you. For who? Those who will not obey their authorities. Unprofitable. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are, what? ordained of God. Believe it or not, God gave you the parents he wanted you to have. He didn't make a mistake. Let the elders that rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. So honor those who are in authority. Don't just submit to them, but honor them. For the husband is the what? Head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and the savior of the body. And then uh, this is spoken to uh, Adam and Eve after their fall. God says to Eve, thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall, what? Rule over thee. That's probably not real popular today. Children, What? Obey your parents in the Lord in all things, for this is pleasing unto the Lord. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Two functions of government, to punish those that do evil and to praise and reward those who do well. For so is the will of God that by well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers and to obey magistrates. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power or the authority, whatever that authority may be, and we'll look at the different authorities that we have over our lives. And by the way, all of us have authority over our lives. Resisteth the ordinance of God. So really you're resisting God. When you resist your authority, you are resisting God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves what? Damnation. Boy, God speaks so strongly about this issue. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercession, the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in what? Authority. Pray for your authorities. Not only submit to them and honor them and obey them, but pray for them that ye may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. But I suffer not a woman to teach, to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So first of all, we're going to look, after putting those verses kind of under our belt and building upon them, and there's many more that I could have put up there, we're going to look at God's structure of authority within the family unit. So let's see how God designed the family here to operate. First of all, all authority comes from who? It comes from God. He is the almighty God. The powers that be, say it with me, are what? Ordained of God. God. So God is the one that established structures of authority. In the family, you have what? The husband. The husband is the head of the family. The Bible makes it very clear. Underneath him would be who? Would be the wife. And then, of course, you would have the children underneath them who are to be in subjection to them. Now, over here, we have Satan. Now, what does the Bible say that Satan is? He is a what? He is a roaring lion. And this is significant. He walks round about. Doesn't say he walks under God's authority. He walks round about. Now, what does that mean? It means that he can only devour. He can only bring destruction to those who are outside of God's protective structure. That's why it's so dangerous to get out from under authority and just say, I want to live my life. I want to make my own decisions. I'm going to join the military. I had a fellow just tell me that this week. He said, I was so rebellious as a teenager. He said, I had a bad attitude. And uh, he said, so I went and joined the military. And then he told me what it was like to have them right in your face, spitting in your face, yelling at you and cursing at you and swearing at you and tearing you down. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Does he want to devour the father? Yes. Does he want to devour the mother? Yes. Does he want to devour the children? All right. He wants to work his way right down the line. But think about this. He can't. If we stay under authority. Okay? So let's put him over here and see what he wants to happen. He wants the father to get out from under authority. Because then he can what? Come on, talk to me. He can what? He can devour the father. And then you remove that father figure and he's after the mother. And he wants to get her out from under authority so he can devour her. What do we see with our families today? They are what? They're a mess. They're dysfunctional. They're destroyed. 
Why? Much of it has to do with this very lesson that I'm teaching tonight. They didn't get under God-ordained authority. And then we see the destruction of so many children today that are living in rebellion. Years ago, and years ago now, I can't even remember, over 30 years ago we went to our first seminar on basic youth conflicts with Brother Bill Gothard. And he taught this principle of the umbrella of protection. And how if you stay under that protection there is God-ordained authority. And if you will stay under God-ordained authority, what a wonderful protection that you have from Satan. And I always liked that illustration. I thought it was very good. So here in the family, you have the Lord Jesus Christ. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. It's referring to the family there. And so then you have Christ, you have the husband, and then you have the wife who is a keeper at home and giving that protection to her children. Now we want to look at God's structure of authority within the church. The family was the first institution that God established, and with that family he established authority. And now we have uh, the church that we're going to look at, uh, institution established by God there in Acts chapter 2. So in order to understand this, we have to understand the role of the pastor. And this is something that really is not understood by a lot of churches today as to what is the pastor's role within the church. Well, the Bible calls him the pastor, calls him the teacher, calls him the elder, and calls him the bishop. Now, pastor means shepherd. That's the design of the office is to shepherd his people. The duty of the office is that he's teach. he has to be apt to teach, he has to have the ability to teach, not just preach, but teach. It's very important. Uh, so that's the duty of the office. He needs to be an elder in the sense of the dignity of the office, maturity that he needs to have within the office. And then he is the bishop. This is the overseer, the one in charge. He is to be the overseer of church ministry and so that's the demand of the office that he take the bishopship so here we find the authority that the pastor is to have within the local church and these verses refer directly to pastoral authority and we beseech you brethren to know them which labor among you and i underline it here and are over you in the what in the Lord. So here he's talking about the church. So in the church, I have the authority in the church, not in your family. Who has the authority in the family? The husband does. See, there's a balance of power here. You have the church, you have uh, the family, you have government. It says that are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Did you know that that's one of the, actually it's one of the main responsibility of the, of the pastor is to admonish you. And this is in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Obey them that have the rule over you. Again, this is in the context of talking about the pastor. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. So that means those of you who are members here at Fellowship Baptist Church, one day I have to stand and give an account to God for you of how I've led you and how I've taught you the Scriptures. Obey them, have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they, that the pastor, may do it with joy and not with grief, for this is unprofitable to you. 
So some pastors will have to stand before the Lord and grieve over the souls of some of their church members. And then some pastors will stand before the Lord and they'll rejoice to present some of their members to Christ. Paul's desire was to present his church members to the Lord as a chaste virgin, remember? 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Let the elders that rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. Now, can you tell, can you tell if a minister labors in the word and doctrine? How can you tell that? By his teaching and preaching. I had someone last Wednesday night, they were talking to me, and they're attending another church in the area. And he said to me, he said, you know, we've attended there for three weeks. He said, it's nothing but milk, 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 milk. Listen, we have to move from milk. Amen? We can't be bottle suckers all the, our Christian experience. We need to move from milk to what? To meat. All right? So those, those pastors who really labor in the word and teach and feed their people well, he said, you count them worthy of double honor. Your response, uh, <clears throat> our responsibility toward our pastor is you need, you need to treat him as your shepherd. Okay, that's what the word pastor means. You need to treat him as your shepherd. You need to listen to his voice or his teachings. You need to follow his leadership. You need to treat him as an elder. That means you are to honor him with double honor. You're not to rebuke him. The Bible said rebuke not an elder. That's always out of place to do that. You do not speak evil against him. You treat him as the overseer of the church and its ministry. You submit to his authority. You keep him informed. Sometimes the preacher is the last one to know what's going on. Keep him informed of what's happening within the fellowship. Ask his permission before you do things. Amen. Treat him very highly, the Bible says, in love for his work's sake. You are to respect the work that he does. You are to love him. You are to love his wife. You are to love his children. You are to uh, support him financially. And you're to avoid having a challenging spirit towards your pastor. This is all involved in being under pastoral authority. And then, of course, you are to pray for him. And thank you so much for doing all of these things. And thank you for working so faithfully. So many of you are wonderful workers in the ministry here at Fellowship. So I wanted to put this up here and put some pictures up there of some of these good-looking guys that we have there in our church. So all authority comes from who? All authority comes from God. Satan walks round about seeking whom he may devour. You ever heard of pastors being devoured by the enemy? You hear about it all the time, don't you? All the time you hear about it. Pray for your pastor. It's devastating when a pastor falls and is devoured. And then, of course, we'd have Ben and we'd have Mr. Pierce there. God wants to take them out. And then we have these wonderful deacons of ours 
Look at that good-looking Jim hit there. Looks so young in that picture, doesn't he? Huh? I couldn't find a good picture of Isaac. <laughs> he looks like kind of a smirky deacon there that's in trouble, doesn't he? God, Satan wants to take him out. And eventually, he wants to take out the church. 35, the last I heard, this was a year ago, about 3,500 churches closing their doors every year in America. Very, very sad. So here we have God's structure of authority within the church. We have Christ, who is the head of the church. We have pastors, who are the under-shepherds. Then you have, of course, the men of the church. You have the husbands, and then the wives underneath them. Remember, Satan walks round about, seeking whom he may devour. God also has a structure of authority within your employment. First of all, there's the owner. Who is the owner accountable to? He's accountable to God. See, everyone's accountable. He's accountable to God, how he runs his business. Of course, then you would have the CEO of a company. If it's a larger company, you would have the boss. You would have uh, the foreman. You would have team leads. And so within your employment, you have all different levels of authority there. The Bible said, masters, those who are in authority, give unto your servants, your employees, that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So those who own businesses are directly accountable to God for how they run their businesses and how they treat their employees. And they will give an account one day to God. Then you have the employees, servants, employees, Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. Don't work only when the boss is looking. Well, we have people like that in the workforce, don't we? Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Why are you submitting to your employer? Because you're fearing God. You're doing this as unto the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Work as unto the Lord. And not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So if you're working for an employer, you're just as much called into the ministry working for him as you would be if you were in, quote, full-time Christian service. I guess there really isn't such a thing, technically, a full-time Christian service, because we're all to be in full-time service. It's just where the Lord has you serving and what authority he has you serving under. By the way, if you are the one on the top, you have a greater condemnation, the Bible says. Actually, the Bible says don't desire to be a master, because you have more accountability before God. So now let's talk about God's structure of authority within government. And we could really get into this, all right? So really I'm just kind of skimming the surface here. 
but um, we want to talk about federal, state, and local governmental structures. Um, the Declaration of Independence. We have two major doctrines, uh, documents. The Declaration of Independence and, and the Constitution of the United States. And so uh, within the Declaration of Independence, it says this. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's what? God entitled them a decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the cause which impel them to the separation. So we have the Declaration of Independence. And it goes on. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their what? Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, why does government exist? Well, God ordained it to secure our rights. What are our rights? We have the right to life, what? Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving... Here, here you need to understand this, because our government structure is different than most in the world. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So who gives government their power? We do, and God does. Okay? So you got God and the people involved here in putting people in authority governmentally. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people. It's our responsibility. Because we are the government. It is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and institute new government, biblical government. Laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem uh, most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. We the people, the Constitution of the United States. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. What is the highest law in America? It's the constitution of the United States. It's our highest law. Abraham Lincoln said, government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. So when we elect those to serve in government, who are they serving? They're serving us. They are our servants. We're not their servants, they're our servants. And we have a representative form of government. We put them in their positions to represent us and to serve us according to the Constitution of the United States. Okay, are you all with me so far? I'm trying to make this just real simple here. James Madison, 
who was considered the father of the Constitution, the fourth president of the United States, at the Constitutional Convention in 1787, James Madison proposed the plan to divide the central government into three branches, co-equal government here. He discovered this model of government from the perfect governor as he read Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22. So why do we have three branches of government? Because James Madison was reading the Bible. And he came across this verse. And he said, this, this is how our government needs to structure for its balance of power. So one doesn't have more power than the other. Go equal. And this was the verse. He said, for the Lord is our judge. This would be the judicial branch. He said, the Lord is our lawgiver. This would be the Congress, Senate, uh, the legislative branch. And he said, the Lord is our king, the executive branch. He will save us. So here we find the three branches of government finding their root in the scripture itself. But they're all there by the people and what? For the people. Constitution, the ruling document of the United States of America. But we as Christians, we have even a higher authority. Are you still with me, church? What is our higher authority? It's the Bible itself. That's our highest authority. Now, all this is going to be very important to what I'm saying as we break this down here in just a little bit to say, is it ever okay to disobey authority? Okay? So the Bible is our highest authority, our ruling document. Elected officials are put there to serve we, the people. Thomas Jefferson said these were, of course, you know he's my favorite founding father. Thomas Jefferson said, if a law is unjust, a man is not only right to disobey it, he is what? Obligated to do so. Did Thomas Jefferson understand God-ordained authority? Yes, he did. Did he understand the function of authority? Did he understand what was the ultimate authority? That's why he said what he did. Listen to Moses here in Deuteronomy 16. Judges and officers, or God speaking to uh, Moses, Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout the tribes. They shall judge the people with what kind of judgment? Just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift for a gift. What, what would we call that? Call it a bribe. For a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of righteousness. Now, I highlighted this because I think this is a very significant statement about those who are in authority and established laws. Really goes along with what uh, Jefferson just said right here. God says, that which is altogether just shalt thou follow. What is the opposite of that? What's opposite of that? Whatever is not just, you shouldn't follow. 
that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So, doing right when what you're told to do is wrong. Question, is it ever right to do wrong? What establishes for us what is wrong? Our highest ruling document, which is the Bible, above even the Constitution of the United States. Now, there is nowhere in the Constitution of the United States that says that homosexual marriage is immoral, or is immoral. But it does say it in my Bible. Okay? It does say it in my Bible. This is the apostles. As they're called, in, arrested and called into question by their authorities. Let's see how the apostles reacted. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, then unto God ye judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What were they saying to their authorities? We are not going to obey you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Be it known unto you, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not, we are not going to bow down to your image. Throw us into the fiery furnace, if you will, but we are not going to bow down. The God we serve can save us from the fiery furnace. But if he chooses not to save us, it makes no difference to us. We are not bowing down. Was that right or wrong? That was right, because they had a higher ruling authority. Hope you can read this. A little small here. And when they had brought them and set them before the council, the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us? Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, Say it with me. We ought to obey God rather than men. This was always their response. Goes on. When they had called the apostles and beaten. Are you willing to go that far? And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer. We're going to come back to that word. Suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Now, what if the authorities would have been successful in shutting the apostles down? We wouldn't be here today. Aren't you glad that they submitted to their highest authority and were willing to suffer whatever consequences came their way because of it? Now, how do you appeal 
to your authorities. Maybe there's something that you would like to see your authorities do. Maybe there is something that you disagree with that your authorities are doing. How do you appeal to your authorities? When I put this slide together, I really like this picture. It's actually, you can't see the rest of it here just because of how we designed it. But uh, this is a young lady, and she's uh, appealing to her mother. Wouldn't you just love if your kids always appealed to you with that kind of spirit? Amen? Wouldn't you have more of an open heart? to them when they approach you in that kind of way. So how to appeal to authority. First of all, you must appeal at the appropriate time. Respect their time and know what time would be appropriate to appeal to them. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. So make sure they, they have free time, they're not busy, they're not caught up doing something else, that you're not interrupting them. Make sure it's a good time to approach them. Don't demand a hearing. What happens when you go up to your authority and you demand a hearing? You're not going to get it. You request a hearing. May I please talk to you about this? In your... Uh, is your authority, the one you're appealing to, is he free to concentrate on your appeal without being distracted? If he's busy doing something else, she's busy doing something else, probably not a good time to appeal to them. Give your authority the time he or she needs to consider your appeal. Don't say, I want you to answer me right now. Number two. You must give true and accurate information to your authority. If you are making an appeal... To them, make sure you give them accurate information. Give them all the information they need to make a wise decision. This is very important. Make sure your appeal contains all the pertinent facts so that you don't wrongly influence the decision that your authority is going to make. Number three. You must have the right attitude when making your appeal. Show respect. I'll be honest with you. Isn't it just awful the way our president is disrespected? Isn't it? Whether you agree with him or not, or appreciate him or not, it, listen, it's way over the top. But that's the culture in which we now live. Respect those that are in authority. Be loyal to them. So much disloyalty today. Be grateful. Be grateful for those who are your authorities. Be in submission to them. Now, if someone is respectful, loyal, grateful, and submissive, and they come to me and they have an appeal, do you think I'll be open to listening to them? But if they're disrespectful, if they're disloyal, if they're ungrateful and rebellious, I'm sorry, you're pushing the spirit filling right here when you do that. I'm probably going to not listen 
too well. You must use appropriate words. Came across this verse, I thought it was a powerful verse. For the grace of his lips, the king shall be his what? Gracious. Just have gracious words when you're speaking to authority. By the way, uh, you young people, I hope you're really listening because if you want your parents to maybe do more for you, it would be a good idea if you applied some of these principles. Right words are gracious words. They are words of humility. They're free from uh, resentment and arrogance. Don't be inflammatory and do not be demanding. You will not be successful in your appeal. Wives can use this when appealing to their Husbands, you can use this when appealing to your employer. You can even use this when appealing to the policeman. Do you know how many tickets my wife has gotten out of? Because a policeman pulls her over, she says, Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Do you know you are God ordained? You are his minister? And she I probably think this lady is nuts. She's gotten out of so many tickets because she's so nice. Or five. You must display the right response in your appeal uh, if your appeal is rejected. And sometimes your authority is not, they're, they're just not going to do it. Probably the majority of the time they're not going to do it. So what is your response going to be? Spit a fit? Hope not. Let it be the hidden man of the heart, in which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a what? Meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. Apply to women as well. It's usually the passage we apply to the women to have a meek and quiet spirit, but we need to have that too, especially if our appeal is rejected. Now, what are your options? Before I put this up here, I want to ask you. What are your options if your authorities are forcing you to do something that is against your conscience and the word of God that you really deem to be evil and wrong, but your authorities are pushing you to do it, what are the options that you have in a situation like that? Someone? What? Make an, well, yeah, we just talked about that. You can make an appeal, but they're, they're forcing you. Your appeal's rejected. They're, they're still going to force you to do wrong. What? Leave. You can flee. All right? First and second Peter are all about suffering. Why were these people suffering? Because they were being persecuted. And it starts out in 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout. Why were they scattered? Because the authorities were telling them that they could not live their life for Christ. Actually, this is one of the ways the gospel was spread. The Lord brought persecution and people fled. They're scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So you can flee. I love my King James Bible. 
But I'll tell you what, King James was a wicked man. He just put together the best translators and linguists that the world has ever known, published the Bible. So apart from that, King James was a tyrant. And there was a group of individuals that he absolutely hated. They were the Puritans, and a part of the Puritan group called the Separatists. Okay? They refused to be a part of the religion that King James had established, over which he was the head, which is the Church of England. They said, we're not going to be a part of this. Christ is the head of the church. The king is not the head of the church. So the Puritans would not be a part of the Church of England. Because the Puritans refused to be a part of the Church of England, King James would fine, fine them for not attending Sunday services. I kind of thought that was a good idea. <laughs> you don't come to church, you get fined. I'm just kidding, okay? I'm just kidding. King James also made laws to fine them for holding independent church services out from underneath the Church of England. So if he caught the Puritans, the separatists, holding their own church meetings, they'd break it up and they'd find them. All right. <clears throat> How was America founded? Yes, right. What did they do? They fled. And they here to America for what purpose? Religious freedom. Okay? They felt they were being forced to do evil. And think of the sacrifices that they made. How many of the, there's 100, or 102 of them, right? Am I right here with my 102 of them that came? I can't remember how many died during the first year. Does anybody remember? Most, most of the women died. Most of the, the children died. Before they got off of the Mayflower, they signed the Mayflower Compact. And I think this is very interesting because who was persecuting them? King James. Listen to the Mayflower Compact. In the name of God, amen... We whose names are the loyal subjects of our dreaded sovereign Lord, who? Were they still respecting God-ordained authority? This is incredible. By the grace of God of Great Britain, France, England, King, Defender of the Faith, having undertaken for the glory of God in the advancement of the Christian faith, why did they come here? To advance the cause of Christ. And then they say this, in honor of our King and country. I want to tell you, these Puritans had something we don't have today. They had an understanding of God-ordained authority, and even when they had to flee and not obey, they still honored the one who was in authority over them. 
so we can flee. The second option we have is to what? Suffer. Who is this a picture of? Peter being crucified upside down. He didn't flee. He took it, but would not be crucified in the same manner of his Savior. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye what? Suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So you can flee, you have that option. Or you can say, no, God doesn't want me to flee. God wants me to suffer for his namesake. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. Now say it together, in keeping them there is great reward. So is there great reward for those who stay under authority? Is there great reward for those who say, you know what? I can't obey the authority. I'll still honor them, but I can't obey them. I'm going to flee or I'm going to choose to suffer. God's protection under authority. Let me say to all of you, in the authorities that God has established, stay under them. Unless those authorities are forcing you to do something that is evil. If they force you to do evil, you cannot do it. Take me to jail. Crucify me upside down. But I can't do wrong to do right. Stay under the protection of the Lord. So here are some, our time is up, so I'm going to fly through these quickly. I'm not even going to give you time to write these down. These will, I think our PowerPoints are posted online. I think they are. They're not? Okay, we can get these from me later. They used to be. First of all, things will go well for you. How many want things to go well for them? I've never met someone yet that says, I really want things to go bad in my life. But you know what you're saying when you rebel? What are you saying? I want things to go bad. Now, I don't know about you, but that is so foolish. Isn't it? Seriously, isn't that foolish? It will not go well for you. Next, you will live a long life. You'll live out the fullness of life. Pastor Peterson must have been really obedient to be 93 years old, still serving the Lord. You'll live out. You know, God has a fullness of life for you to live. You, you be rebellious and disobedient. Your life will be cut short. So, you know, these are your choices. You will bring delight to the Lord. You delight the heart of the Lord when you stay under authority. You avoid the fear of condemnation. You're not going to be condemned. You will maintain a good conscience. You will obtain a good report. You know, there's... 
I especially think of young I think of young people who are obedient under authority, have a good spirit. They just have a good report. And then there's those other ones that other people say, stay away from. You want to have a good report, good testimony. You receive God's inheritance. He has a special reward in heaven for those who stay under authority and obey their authorities. You'll receive glory. You will not blaspheme God or his word. You'll be given clear direction in life. This is the way. Walk in it. You'll be protected from evil people. Remember? Because you're where? Under protection. You will gain discernment. Boy, do we ever need that in life. Amen? You'll receive God's praise. Better to have the praise of God than the praise of men. You will honor those who God has put over you, give you a good relationship with your parents, your pastor, and governmental officials, and even the police if they pull you over. You will escape the destruction of pride. Really, you stop and think about it. Pride is really the essence of rebellion. And it tell me what to do. David said these words. Verily. The word verily means truly. Verily there is a reward for the righteous. And you know what? I want God's rewards in my life. I want God's rewards in your life. If we understand authority, we know how to get under authority, and we understand when those times come, and that, that those times would be very rare when you do have to disobey authority, but that we do so in the right way, God will give you a reward. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.